Wow. Welcome, guys. Uh, This is a very exciting day for me. I really can't express to you how much I appreciate you tuning in. It's a super special episode for a couple of reasons. A, it's the first episode ever, uh, which I can't believe I'm actually going through with this finally. And thanks for all of the support. And B, Uh, I'm actually interviewing my brother in this first episode, and uh, it was really nice for me to get to hear his story and sort of how he got into real estate, uh, because whether or not it makes me a bad sibling, there was actually a lot to it that I didn't know. Um, So without further ado, uh, we can kind of jump right into the episode. Oh, you know what? Before that, just hard disclaimer, I'm doing all the editing and stuff myself, and It's my first time. I know there are kind of, you know, services out there that can handle this and I will get there at some point. But just to start out, I I sort of took it all under my own reins. So, you know, forgive the audio, forgive the uh, (laughs) the back and forth, the bloopers, etc. It is what it is. It's real. It's raw. And that's sort of the whole point. So um, on that note, let's hop right in. You're listening to The Keys to Owning, a real estate show about Canadian property owners, what they wish they knew sooner, their advice, and how they got to where they are today. I'm your host, Caro Jang. I realize I didn't introduce myself yet. And today I'm joined by Michael Jang, uh, who is the proud owner of a triplex in Montreal with two units, uh, sorry, two bedroom units. And he's also the co-owner of a duplex in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for this one. He's going to be talking to us about joint ventures, uh, buying property with existing tenants, uh, evicting, spoiler alert, and how title insurance can really save you thousands of dollars. Um, so here we go. Thank you, Mike, for being on the show. I am supporting my dreams. Yeah, it's my pleasure. This is actually really exciting to be, uh, to be a part of this. So, Michael, I stole your thunder a little bit there uh, by telling the audience about the properties that you own. Uh, But could you tell us a little bit more about what made you want to get into real estate to begin with? What drove you to buy that first property with our sister, especially in a place where you didn't even live? Just for the audience, um, he bought this as a joint venture with our sister at the time. And I think even my parents, maybe I'm a bad sibling for not knowing. So, uh... The first time that I, I bought a property, it was with our sister, Mora. And at the time, I wasn't really even particularly aware of the real estate market at all. And it was really because of our mom who uh, suggested... Thanks, um, mom. Thanks, mom. Um, so she suggested that we get into real estate investing uh, because it's quite lucrative. And it's one of the more stable kinds of investments once you actually uh, get into it and start to understand the ins and outs of how it works. Uh, So yeah, it just seemed like, okay, now's the time. And so my mom, uh, or our our mom uh, drove out to Halifax to start looking for properties with uh, with Mora. And the reason we looked there was, um, well, there were two reasons actually. So it was a market where we could actually uh, purchase something within our price range. Just to give some context to everyone, our family is from Ontario, uh, pretty close to the GTA. So that would be the comparison, Mark. Yeah. And and also at the time I was living in Montreal and 
I wasn't ready to actually buy my own property at the time. I didn't have uh, I didn't have what seemed like enough to invest for myself uh, as a sole property owner. Uh, so Mora was also looking for uh, for a way to invest, and at the time. She also had a lot of experience working in uh, the construction industry, having studied as a carpenter. So we figured, you know what, if we can find a place where Mora can make it her primary residence and also use her skills to do any of the renovations if necessary, it's a great place to, to invest where Mora can essentially take care of the place. I provide the down payment. So it just seemed like a, a really great opportunity to, to create a joint venture here. Uh, I don't know where I was for this whole time, but if I recall correctly, you just started working full time. I know you said a year and a half when you bought that property. And then our sister was actually a student. And if I remember things correctly, you weren't making that much money at the time. So did you have a particular strategy for coming up with that down payment or how did you guys even get approved? I actually ended up setting aside pretty much half of every paycheck into my savings account. Not everybody's going to do that, but that's how uh, how I was approaching it at the time. Uh, wow. I didn't have a ton of expenses, so it was it was quite doable for me to do that. With the salary that I was making and the salary that Maura was making, which was really not much because she was a student, uh, we actually didn't have enough to to really get approved in a traditional uh, mortgage. So our parents, uh, God bless them, decided that they were going to support us and co-sign the uh, the mortgage uh, application. I really, I'm not sure where I was when all of this was happening, but did you need a pre-approval or what was the market like at that time? Because I know today, for example, you know, you're not really going into a deal without a pre-approval letter from a bank. So, uh, you know, was that something that you needed to go through and what were the interest rates like back then? Well, actually, it's kind of funny you mentioned that because when I said earlier that uh, that my mom had kind of, or our mom kind of pushed us into this, um, I was so resistant to it at the time that I was I was just thinking, okay, mom, if you want to take care of this and if you want to put all of this together and go do all of the work with Mora, I'll provide the money. I just want it to be hands off. And that's a really <laughs> common practice in a joint venture. Yeah, where you yeah, would have a really passive is. partner and then the active partner, and the active partner would be the one. Uh, in this case, I guess, mom and Mora, who, not to throw you under the bus, but are doing really the active part of the work. Yeah, exactly. And the passive one is really just providing usually that down payment or in some cases that credit access. Yeah, exactly. So to be perfectly honest, I have no memory of what the approval process was. Um, I know the interest rates that we ended up getting, um, it was uh, 2.9%, which at the time was... um, sort of within the the realm of what interest rates were going for at the time. But yeah, there's not really a whole lot more that I can say about the approval process because I wasn't really all that involved other than uh, our mom sent us uh, or sent me the documents uh, to sign. I signed them and that was that. All right, fair enough. And that would have been what, in 2013? That was in 2013, yeah. Okay, so fast forward a few years and you still own the duplex in Nova Scotia with our sister. And what she's managing the rentals for you, and you're splitting the cash flow, or, or how exactly does that part work? Was there even cash flow? Um, well, yes, she's managing all the rentals. Uh, she's managing all of the upkeep. Um, and in terms of cash flow, actually, no, there isn't really any cash flow at the moment. Since Maura's living there, she wanted to actually 
make the place really nice for, for herself as her own home. Uh, so a lot of the the cash flow has actually been going back into the house. In fact, pretty much all of the cash flow has been going back into the house for the moment. Okay, and, and you, you don't mind that? I guess she's doing some forced appreciation. Yeah, exactly. What was the biggest learning curve or biggest takeaway from your first purchase? Going into a joint venture with somebody, whether it's family or friends or anybody, make sure that it's really clear from the beginning how everything is going to be split. Maura and I didn't actually set anything down in writing. And so uh, now Maura is looking to, to buy out my part of the property. Uh, but it's just, it's been a little bit challenging to, to try and make sure that we get all of the ducks in a row to make sure that it's actually fair for both of us. Uh, and uh, and just trying to remember exactly what money was put in by whom. Uh, so yeah, make sure that uh, that you get everything down on paper and that you record all of the expenses. So it's really easy to determine who gets what. Yeah, fair. I mean, even with my rental property here, I'm not as diligent as I would like to be in, you know, recording every transaction, every trip to Rona, et cetera. So I can totally see how being in a joint venture would complicate that. Yeah, for sure. At this point, Mike, you're living and renting in Montreal and you decide to buy another property. Did you know that you wanted a triplex? Like you obviously don't need three units to live in yourself. Um, so was yeah. that like an active choice? Yeah, absolutely. At that point, I was thinking, okay, if I'm going to buy anything at all, I want something that is going to be cost effective in terms of uh, the return on investment. I thought, you know what, I'm going to go for it and see it, see what I could get, see what kind of uh, approval I can get for this. And, uh, and so that's how I ended up actually looking at, um, at properties that seemed at the time a little bit beyond what I could actually afford, but actually turned out to be quite a great investment. Yeah, I was going to ask because you were alone in this transaction, right? I, I know you and I even talked about co-signing at one point, but what were you doing at that time career-wise? And if you don't mind like talking to us a little bit about what a triplex um, in, in the area that you purchased would have cost at that time as well. Yeah, for sure. So what I was doing was I was working at a tech company in uh, web development. So in the area that I was looking, uh, it's in, in Verdun in Montreal at the time, uh, it was pretty much right before the property values in Verdun started to really skyrocket. So I kind of got lucky in that sense. But uh, at the same time, even if the prices hadn't gone up as much as they have since then, it still would have been a really great investment. So what I ended up getting was a, a triplex, uh, so three units uh, and a standalone property as well. For uh, It ended up coming up to 462000 that I, I paid for it. Um, Crazy. Yeah. I, and interestingly, like in the, the four years since then, uh, the asking prices of similar properties uh, in this area, I was just looking at several months ago, and they're, uh, they're around 75% more than what I paid. At that time, I don't really remember you talking that much about real estate. Like, how did you learn about the numbers and things? Like, Yeah, I started to watch um, a show called Income Property with Scott McGillivray. I guess it was a few years that I had like on and off that I'd been watching those uh, those episodes after purchasing purchasing the first property with Mora. Um, I saw an ad for a uh, a conference with Scott McGillivray here in Montreal, and it was like a, a free presentation on real estate investing. So I thought, oh, that sounds really cool. So I went to that, 
And at the end of the presentation, they were offering um, a, a discounted rate for their three-day real estate investing seminar. Uh, based on what I had seen in that presentation, I thought this actually sounds like a really great investment to really learn how to invest in real estate. That actually gave me the, the tools I needed to start looking at properties and evaluating the return on investment and, uh, and actually determining what was actually affordable uh, versus what appeared affordable at first glance. Yeah, that's really, really good advice. I think that, um, you know, for anyone who's listening that doesn't necessarily have access to family members who have done this before, uh, I'll include a link to Scott. Like, I apologize, Scott. I Scott can never McGillivray. say your last name. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, I will include a link. Um, I've attended a seminar of his before as well, like an introduction, and it was very helpful. So for anyone um, you know who wants to get into investment real estate, let's say, not necessarily just buying to live in, although that too, he does really break down the numbers in a very simple way. Um, speaking of numbers, it can be really difficult for some people to fund even one property. Because you were alone in this, did you have a particular strategy that you leveraged to fund the second purchase? Did you claim this as your primary residence and only put 10% down? Or were there any programs that you used? Well, first of all, I, I had continued to diligently save my money, kind of like I, I had mentioned earlier. So I was still uh, saving about half of every paycheck that I received. What, what, whatever it takes. Even though it was my primary residence and I could have uh, qualified for 10%, for whatever reason, uh, Genworth, which is the company that that provides the uh, mortgage insurance for uh, any property with ten percent down, uh, even with my my really good credit score at the time, we never really found out why they didn't want to approve me. Yeah, that's yeah. really interesting. And I remember you being so stressed out at that time, and I think you had to even extend your offer, right? Yeah, yeah. So what what ended up happening was um, uh, the the first bank that. Uh, that we we tried to to get a mortgage through uh i got a, a pretty good rate uh and i got approval through the bank uh but then that was the one where i ended up having uh trouble with the insurance so i i think there was like some issue with the communication between the bank itself and the and genworth in order to get the mortgage insurance company Okay, just before we continue, for anyone listening who's really new to real estate, you don't always need 20% down payment to purchase a property, especially if it's a primary residence. Uh, but if you are going to put less than 20% down, you need to have mortgage insurance with your mortgage. So basically, whoever's lending to you will be protected if, for example, uh, there's a foreclosure or something like this. And there are three different mortgage insurance companies in Canada. And most of them don't like to insure multiple properties under 20%. Um, it's not impossible, but it is something that they look at. And obviously, if they're an insurance company, they're going to take the liability of the candidate coming as well, right? So, Mike, do you think that yeah, you know, having... that's probably a good point, actually, because the, the property that Maura and I have in Halifax, we put down 5%. I mean, it, it was still cash flow positive. And... Uh, uh, yeah, so my mortgage broker, she she ended up working so hard uh, trying to make it work. And we never did end up finding out why they didn't approve me. So that was probably a factor. That's probably a huge factor. So just just uh, to let you guys know there, uh, CMHC is the one that most people know about. 
Yeah, but that's they, the one that we got insured through. In, and in they changed their their regulations within the company. Now you can't get a second insured uh, mortgage mm -hmm. under 20% insured with them. Oh, really? Um, but yeah, I was looking a lot into this last year and had a lot of conversations with uh, Genworth and they can. Um, but obviously it's subject to, you know, the liability of the person coming in, et cetera. So that might, that might well have been the reason. Little yeah, did I know yeah, at the time. Possibly. Shows how time can teach you things. Exactly. So having been through that, though, do you have any advice for anyone who's having trouble getting approved by a mortgage insured? Go with a private mortgage bro broker, particularly, because they're going to be able to shop around for you. They're going to do all of the hard work and heavy lifting for you in terms of actually finding the best rates for you, uh, making sure they get all of the, the paperwork settled. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I honestly, I don't know what I would have done if I didn't have somebody dealing with that for me. Yeah, I mean, I made that mistake myself. I, I maybe had some trust issues when I was younger and I actually took a couple of days off work and called everyone I could access on the internet about finding my own loan rates. And I understand entirely why it's a full-time job. Yeah, and I'm sure yeah, that absolutely. someone could have done it better than I did. Yeah, even if you, you are happy with what your, your own bank offers you, I would still recommend going with a private broker just because they, they might be able to get you an even better deal. Now, the reason I, I mentioned uh, starting with your own bank is because sometimes if you've got, especially if you've got multiple products with your bank, they'll bundle things together and give mm. you a preferred rate. Uh, but, uh, but don't count on that rate actually being the best rate you could get. Okay, so you find yourself your 20% and you move into one of the units. And then you also adopt the existing tenants for the other units. Can you just find the tenants that you like and replace them? Or, or do you have to keep the ones that you purchased the property with? How does that work? Yeah, so that's actually going to depend a lot on the province that you live in, because the laws and regulations that govern that differ from province to province. So, for example, here in Quebec, if you want to move into a property that you just purchased, you're not legally allowed to kick out a tenant if you have an empty unit uh, that is Comparable. No way. You have to take into consideration if you own any uh, any other properties that are similar that you could move into. Yeah. I had no idea. Now, your tenants may not know that, so they may not actually be able to, to take you to court over that. But it's something to be aware of just in case they happen to find out. You don't want to find yourself in a position kicking out tenants, creating a bad relationship with your tenants, only to find out that you can't kick them out in the first place. Yeah, that's very good to know. And, you know, if memory serves, you had a, speaking of kicking out tenants, a not so hot experience with one of your tenants that actually led to threats, right? And a court date and an eventual eviction. So uh, just to give a brief summary, as, as you mentioned, yeah, I did end up having some tenants that were, uh, let's say, less than ideal. They made a decent amount of noise in their apartment but were completely intolerant of anybody else's noise. And when there was even the slightest bit of noise, like even hearing the faint rumbling of a, a dryer in another unit, they would go outside and scream at the tenants through their window. So the kind of thing you might want to do when you're inheriting tenants is go interview the other tenants. Ask the tenants about their experience with the other tenants in the building if you're able. Because that's going to give you a pretty good idea of the kind of people that you're going to be working with. Yeah. And I mean, it really got to the point where uh, where you were threatened, right? And 
you actually had to go to court and get an eviction notice. Yeah. How, how did that work? What was that experience like? Oh, it was awful. <laughs> um, the eviction process actually was, uh, was relatively smooth. For me, it was, uh, it was when this, this tenant uh, threatened me, basically told me, uh, like, the next time you see me, you'll regret it. So I thought, okay, that's the last straw. And interestingly, within the next month and a half, this tenant escalated the, the threats and ended up threatening one of my contractors with a two by four and then punching him. So I went to the rental board and asked them, what's the process here? I do not want to deal with this anymore. And uh, the fact that my tenant had gotten violent meant that I was able to get an expedited hearing with the, the Régie de Lagement, the, the rental board here in Quebec. And, uh, and it also made it really easy to, to evict the tenants. Uh, is there any advice that you would give to someone considering purchasing a rental property that has existing tenants? Yeah, absolutely. A piece of advice that I would give, and, and uh, keep in mind, I'm absolutely not a legal counsel, but if you're going into uh, income properties, especially if you've got existing tenants, it's good to know the laws of the land where you're investing. As long as you are aware of your legal rights and obligations as a landlord and the tenants' legal rights and obligations as tenants, everything's going to be a lot smoother for both of you. Yeah, I think that's that's pretty sound advice. Um, I'm also not legal counsel, but uh, I second that. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think it's just generally good <laughs> advice in anything you do that involves anything legal whatsoever. Like, <laughs> yes, ground yourself in the law so that you know what uh, what you are and aren't allowed to do. And I think that's a good question for an agent as well. If you're looking for an investment property, uh, you know, ask your agent just a couple of questions about the law and they should be able to at least guide you to someone. And that's, I think, really important um, mm -hmm. when you're getting into that type of purchase. This this property has been an adventure for you, right? Yes, it's cash flow positive. Yes, you've made a lot of appreciation. We know it's been a good investment. But what happened exactly? And again, I apologize. I'm a bad sibling. I don't pay attention enough. But <laughs> at one point, your triplex was inspected or something like this. And it was found that your basement unit was not up to code. What led to that discovery, if you could remind me? And can you explain how title insurance came into play here and sort of saved you? Yeah, so uh, so this is a, basically a story in in the value of title insurance. Yeah, so for those listening, uh, when you close on a property, you work with a notary or a legal counsel that does a background check on the property and validates the documents provided by both parties, etc. And title insurance is an optional insurance that you can add to kind of your claim on the property is generally calculated by multiplying uh, your purchase price by the insurer's rate per every thousand dollars. It is an optional type of insurance, but it's really cheap. It's usually like 250 or 300 bucks as a one-time purchase, and it can save you thousands of dollars. It's not something that's uh, really talked about that much with a lot of agents, but it can definitely save you a ton of money in unforeseen situations like uh, Michael's about to talk about. So these could include things um, like maybe there was a deck built that there were no city permits issued for, and then you bought the property and you didn't know, and they came and told you, you need to do something to it to, to make it to code. So those types of costs could be covered by this type of insurance. Yeah, exactly. So in, in my particular case, my triplex basically has the main floor, the top floor, and then a semi-basement apartment. 
the semi-basement is, is legally considered a basement apartment. And in Montreal, there was uh, a change in the law. I think it was about 10 years ago. I can't remember the exact date, but as of a certain date, you're no longer allowed to install basement units, like independent units in the basement of a uh, of an apartment or of a building. And so the nightmare tenants uh, complained to the city about the lack of noise insulation. I actually kind of lucked out because of that, because I ended up actually getting some renovations to the apartment covered by my title insurance. Oh, so it excellent. actually pushed the value up, which is great. <laughs> yeah. So they had complained to the city because they were uh, of the opinion that there was not enough noise uh, separation between their unit and the basement unit. But an inspector came and found there was absolutely nothing wrong with the, the insulation. But the city didn't have the proper record of the basement unit being a separate unit. Uh, the city actually sent me a letter asking me to, uh, to stop renting the unit and to remove the civic address from it. And so I actually had to go searching through the documentation I had of like the tax records because the city had actually still been taxing it as a three-unit building. Right. And I had to skirt the law essentially by getting a grandfather uh, clause to, to apply to my, my building. I was able to actually um, uh, get approval to keep the unit in the end. But <laughs> the inspector said, okay, well, you can keep the unit except for a basement unit. The windows are too small. So I actually had to literally double the amount of window space for, <laughs> for the living space of the basement unit. And that ended up coming to uh, just over $7,000 to deal with that. And luckily, <clears throat> my title insurance actually covered uh, zoning infractions. So I got $7,000 worth of renovations to my basement unit for free. Well, actually well, for, for $250. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, I appreciate you sharing the numbers there. We're, we're starting to run out of time, but there are three questions that I want to ask every guest that joins us on the show. The first one is, what is your favorite part about being a property owner? Honestly, the independence of it. Knowing that even though I'm essentially like paying myself rent, I'm paying it to myself. I'm not paying it to somebody else. And yeah, that does feel good. Yeah. And it also feels really good knowing that the, the portion of rent that I'm paying myself is going to cover additional expenses, but not my mortgage. My mortgage is entirely covered by the rent coming in from the other units. So it feels really great knowing that I don't actually have to pay my own mortgage. Yeah, that is, I mean, that's not always going to be the case if you don't have uh, multiple doors in your, <laughs> your investment, but uh, it's definitely true that even when you are paying your mortgage, it still feels a lot better than, you know, giving uh, the money away, let's say, to someone else. So the second question is about local businesses. Uh, I really feel that local businesses enhance an area's real estate value and uh, especially the quality of life for the people that live in that area. And during this time, I think it's more important than ever that we support those local businesses. So if I give you, you know, the opportunity to kind of name drop a local business near you that you really feel enhances your area and brings value to your neighborhood, uh, what would that business be and why? Um, I think probably the, the first business that comes to mind is Woodland Pizza. And the reason it comes to mind is, first and foremost, they have really good pizza. Well, that's <laughs> enough said. Um, and and uh, they're, they're actually really well-known uh, 
not just in this neighborhood, but across the entire city of Montreal. They're also right by, um, you know, a beautiful park that extends along the river. So uh, yeah, be great sure to place check to come out. grab a slice of pizza and go walk along the river. Yeah. So normally, as a last question, I would ask what advice you would give to someone trying to make their very first property purchase. But I know you've already given us quite a bit of advice throughout the show. So uh, I'm going to switch it up already. Episode one. Uh, and and out of curiosity, what, ask you, what is your next property purchase going to be? You know, that's a really good question. One thing that I've been thinking uh, a lot about recently, uh, especially given the, the pandemic and just really wanting to get out of the city, uh, I would love to purchase a cottage, like something within like two hours of Montreal or something. And a bedroom for me. <laughs> and a bedroom for you, yeah. Uh, but yeah, something that's, that's within... Uh, like maybe two hours max of Montreal so that it's um, it's interesting for for other people as well because I'd, I'd love to turn it into a rental property and, and rent out cottage time throughout the summer. That would be very cool. Yeah. That would be really cool. Uh, well, guys, thanks uh, very much for listening. Michael, thank you very much for being on the show. Yeah, my pleasure. Um, thanks again for having me. Hopefully right after this, we'll hear a little outro of some sort that I haven't come up with yet. Um, or this might be it. So goodbye, guys. Uh, good morning, good night, good afternoon, whatever <laughs> time of day it is. And I'm going to leave before I sound any sillier than I already do. Wow, guys, if you are still with me, uh, evidently, I did decide to record some sort of outro, not an official one. It will change episode to episode, likely as will the music. Uh, I've really just been trying things out because, as I mentioned, as much as this is a real estate podcast, this is also uh, something that I'm using as a creative outlet for myself, especially during this COVID time. Uh, I did want to recap the advice that was given throughout the show. So first and foremost, we had writing down expectations if you're going into a joint venture of any kind, even if it's not with a family member, but especially if it's with a family member, really having a contract and going through you know, what your expectations are and how things will be divided if there are profits uh, that come from that purchase together. And that really applies to anything, not necessarily real estate, but you know, if you have those discussions upfront, you might even find that that's not the venture partner for you. Secondly, I will include in the show notes a link to um, some of Scott McGill or McGree's, anyway, Scott's stuff. He's super famous within Canada. He runs like one of the largest Canadian investing companies and they do a lot of educational seminars, etc. This show is not sponsored by them or anyone at this point. So um, this is really speaking from firsthand experience and what helped myself and my brother. Uh, and there's no expectation there, but the link's there if you need it. Um, thirdly, we went over the benefits of having a private mortgage broker. So as you guys heard, my brother really shouldn't, well, you know, the bunny years around shouldn't, but shouldn't have qualified for the mortgage that he did with the salary that he had. Um, especially given he had another property uh, with an insured mortgage as well. So having a mortgage broker 
that's really in your corner and not tied to the constraints of a specific institution can really, really help. And we'll be hearing more and more about that in episodes to come as well. A lot of the stories that I've been hearing have sort of been, you know, miracle works of private mortgage brokers. So it's definitely something to look into. And he did also mention uh, another point that I really wish I had explored a little bit more in my first purchase. So what he had suggested was to actually see if you could get a lower rate by bundling products. And I can't remember if it was a credit card or something like this at the time, but my brother was actually able to secure a lower mortgage rate by getting an additional product with that bank that he chose to go for. So that could be a really cool strategy to just try and lower your your mortgage rate. Um, And, you know, I I know of other people doing similar things for line of credit, etc. It might even be just opening a savings account, getting your, you know, reduced rate and then closing the account. Who knows? Um, we also talked about interviewing your tenants if you're adopting them. So this isn't going to apply to everyone, especially if you're moving into something that's a primary residence for yourself, but really just asking, um, you know, asking your, your existing tenants, if you can sit down and have a chat with them, uh, before you commit to buy could be really cool. Although, especially in today's market, that's not always a choice, but especially after you buy, uh, to really get that vibe and see what you're in for (laughs) if you will Um, that's really more relevant for the investors here who might have multiple doors but it is a really good point and something that's been a really interesting um, aspect of you know learning landlording for myself in the last couple of years has been getting to know my tenants and selecting tenants then of course probably like the the big story if you will actually i shouldn't say that we had evicted tenants um but one of the stories that he had mentioned was uh, how title insurance really came and kind of saved the day for him so it is worth asking about it's not always going to be applicable definitely a choice so you know in a brand new build that's on like government land or whatever it is It it might not be as applicable. There's less of a chance that somebody else had rights to that land, less of a chance that, you know, the building's not to code, etc. But for anything that is an older build, especially historical sites, things like this, it's definitely worth having the conversation just to see if it's a good option for you. So again, um, I think that maybe every episode will sort of end this way where we do a quick recap of the lessons that we learned or just kind of the stories. I know that in some of the episodes to come, there's actually research that I've had to do either after or before because like you guys, I'm here learning. I really don't know all of the topics that we're talking about and I want to make sure that I'm putting forth, you know, at least the right topics and the right resources for you guys. And so to be completely transparent, I am not legal counsel. I am not a professional in the space. I am someone who is interested in learning about it and figured I would just share the resources and conversations that I've been having with anybody else who might be interested too. Um, oh, I should probably put in, you know, that standard plug here. You can follow us on Instagram, keys to owning is the handle, all one word. And feel free to shoot us a message if you have tips, advice, concerns, anything really open for discussion, totally open doors. So drop us a a DM on Instagram or you can also reach out directly through Anchor. 
please share. If you want to be on the podcast, reach out. We've got a huge roster already this year. There's always room for more. So thanks again, guys, and uh, happy real estate shopping. Well, we'll work on the end. <laughs>